welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, NVK rejoins me on the show for episode 290, and we're talking about Bitcoin security and Bitcoin backups, a primer for new listeners as well as for more intermediate and advanced listeners. What are some ways to think about setting up our Bitcoin security storage and how do we slowly step that up over time and how do we also consider the backups associated with that? This podcast is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys and instant buys. Swan have really fast setup and they are a cheap way to automate your stacking, especially for those of you in the US. I really like Swan because they focus on education and content. So the more you know, the more you buy. They're Bitcoin only, so there's no confusion with altcoins. So Swan are a great place to send pre-coiners and new coiners. Now, if you are a high net worth individual or a company or some type of entity and you're looking to buy more than $100,000 of Bitcoin over the next year, Swan Private Team is here to help you, providing additional guidance, one-on-one personalized service. So if you're looking to set up with Swan, go to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera to get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account when you set up your plan, or go to swanbitcoin.com slash private to get some assistance from the Swan Private Team. Next up, Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend stablecoins or borrow against your Bitcoin globally and anonymously without KYC. So Lend at HodlHodl is a way to earn extra income on your stablecoins. You can lend them out at an average of 25% APR. On the other hand, if you have Bitcoins and you need some liquidity without selling, you can borrow against that. So the best part is you still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature controlling your Bitcoin during the loan period. HODL HODL does not hold your funds. Lend at HODL HODL allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. So you set your own terms and you put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate you're looking to earn. Go check it out, lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend.hodlhodl.com. Are you looking to get involved in Bitcoin mining? Compass is an online marketplace making it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. So you can purchase a hardware and hosting bundle with Compass and they do some of that legwork and vetting for you to make it accessible. And now they've got a new VIP bundle. So as part of this deal, you get 12 machines one progressively added per month. It's 32400 upfront plus 1800 a month plus the hosting cost, but you're getting 12 machines. So it's a big discount as compared to if you were purchasing those 12 machines individually. And these miners will be located in South Carolina. So USA mining is coming up. So if you want an easy way to get started with Bitcoin mining, go to compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. Now onto the show with NVK. Mr. NVK, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. It's been a while since we spoke about backups. So listeners, you might know we did an episode a little while back, but, you know, things change over time and we've got new listeners and new people coming in. So, you know, it was a good time. And I think there was a lot of uh, support on Twitter for this idea of doing an episode specifically talking about how to do your backups. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe you want to just start with a little bit of a basic uh, you know, why, why do we need to do all this? What's all, why, why is it important? Well, I mean, you know, if you go from the not your keys, not your coins principle, uh, well, if you don't have your keys anymore, then, then you don't have the coins anymore, right? <laughs> it's kind of like self-evident that it's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And so maybe just to 
keep this friendly for the new coiners or the new Bitcoiners out there. Let's talk a little bit about a standard hardware wallet setup process. Mm-hmm. And then we'll sort of talk about, you know, integrating that with how, how we think about our backups, right? So I guess you might, you know, buy a hardware wallet, you might uh, do a firmware update, and you might uh, want to learn how to do GPG verify, right? Which is a command that you use to basically check that the firmware update that you're installing onto that piece of hardware is legitimate. It's the correct, you know, as was signed by the creator. And then, yeah, maybe you just want to tell us a little bit about that initial setup process for a hardware wallet. Yes. So first of all, like, always make sure you buy hardware wallets direct, right? Unless you have a local reseller, which like you have some level of trust, right? Always buy directly from the actual manufacturer of hardware wallets, right? So a cold card, like we don't even have resellers, uh, at least not official ones, uh, because it, it's just, you, you know, for us to vouch for a reseller, there's definitely honest ones out there. But for us to vouch, it just opens uh, people up to more attacks, right? So it's better that way. So don't don't buy it, like buy directly from us or from the other ones. And uh, once, once you get a hardware wallet, right, uh, inspect it, right? Make sure that things look kosher. That, uh, you know, unfortunately, like some are just like the little shiny sticker that's kind of useless. Don't don't trust that that shiny uh, uh, seal. Right. Those things are very easily uh, uh, reproducible. Um, so so that's one of the reasons why it's best to get directly. Right. Because in order for somebody to try to attack uh, to do a supply attack, a supply chain attack on you with directly from the manufacturer, you have to be a very targeted person, right? It's going to be much harder Correct, yeah. uh, for somebody to go through that trouble. So anyway, so don't trust the little seal, buy directly from the manufacturer, make sure things look right. And then when you get it, um, don't use it right away with coins, right? Always flash the firmware. So that means you're going to download the firmware uh, uh, from the manufacturer. Ideally, you build it from source code, but if you're a noob, you're just going to, you're just gonna download it, right? And then you're gonna do the the PGP, the GPG or PGP verify uh, command. Unfortunately, there is no GUI for this, not that I know of. Uh, you have to do it on the terminal. It's very simple, right? Like, I, I mean, you, you just you know, you just type it in. There is a, a million different uh, tutorials out there. It doesn't have to be Bitcoin specific. Yeah, yeah. It's just showing you how to do uh, a PGP uh, key verification, right? Right. And I guess while we're here, we might just mention there is the guide. So I think Matt O'Dell has his one. If you go to mattodell.com, I think there's a cold card guide there. I know Kiss yes. B, Keep It Simple Bitcoin, has his guide. And even on Ministry of Nodes, which is uh, my um, venture with Catan, we've got guides as well. So just for listeners out there, there are guides out there on how to do GPG Verify if you're not sure. But yeah, go on. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, uh, Kiss B made a video uh, with us called From Zero to Hero. Okay, it's 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 more noob uh, uh, focused, and it does walk you through in video how to do PGP verification. It, it's very simple. It just looks complicated, but it's simple. Anyways, so so you you verify the firmware, you make sure you install the firmware right in the correct way. You don't have coins in the device, so there's a lot less uh, uh, a fear of losing funds in case there's an issue. Uh, so now at least you have like a clean device, right? Uh, and now you're going to go into the part that really matters, which is dealing with seeds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now we're going to initialize that wallet. 
Um, and so it would be good if you could tell us a little bit about the differences between, because people might get confused. They, they might have heard, oh, the 12 or 24 words, but then there's also a pin. And then there's this other thing called a passphrase. So NVK, can you spell out the difference for people? What's the difference between those 24 words, the pin, and the passphrase? So, so the words, uh, they're essentially the secret in which we calculate keys from to sign Bitcoin transactions, right? They're kind of like, um, um, how could I explain this? They're not really a password, right? They, they are the actual, the actual entropy, right? The actual uh, uh, um, secret sauce that protects your Bitcoins or signs your Bitcoins, right? So they're unrelated really to the hardware they're using. Uh, most hardware wallets uh, will uh, uh, support BIP39, which is what the seeds are based on, right? So it's it's between 12 and, and 24 words. It should never be less than 12. And uh, the PIN, the PIN is very, very specific to the hardware wallet you're using, right? So on cold card, we support, I think, uh, two sets of eight digits, if I remember right. Uh, most hardware wallets will support at least six. Uh, and, uh, and, and this PIN is just to unlock your little device, right? It has nothing to do with Bitcoin itself. Uh, and now passphrase is interesting because it's essentially just making your seed longer, right? Uh, it, it's it's maybe it's a misnomer. It's not a great name for it. Uh, you could almost call it like a seed word extension. So so say you have twenty four words, right? Twenty four words. If you multiply that by like you know, say if you're doing this with math, right? And then the words were numbers. If you multiply uh, those those twenty four words by a certain like random number or something, right? You're gonna get a result, right? And that result is gonna be your private key. Now, if you add a few more words to that, you're gonna get a different result. So that's a different private key. So the passphrases themselves are just an extension of that. So so that you can have more secrets, like you, you can have a, a, an extra layer of security by just giving it uh, uh, by calculating all together into a new secret. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me just summarize that for listeners. So just for listeners, if you're totally new and you're like, whoa, I'm a bit lost here, just think of it like this. Your hardware wallet will give you 24 words, right? So just to keep it simple, that 24 words is the backup for every transaction you will ever do on that device, essentially. But there's another compl- there's other complicating factors, right? So you could take those same 24 words and put them into another device, and it will then recreate all the same transactions. This is assuming no passphrase. Then there's a pin, which think of that like a control that's specific to that device. So this is just like to get let you into that device. But if somebody gets the 24 words, they don't need your pin. Now, the other complicating factor, as NVK was explaining, it's the passphrase, or perhaps better term is seed extension. So instead, think of it like instead of a 24-word phrase, you might have a 30-word phrase with six words in your passphrase. And this passphrase is like changing the actual you know, entropy of your Bitcoin. And so remember in Bitcoin, think of it like everybody who runs a Bitcoin node is holding a ledger with all of the Bitcoin transactions that have occurred. And so really what this is, is you are kind of storing your key, which allows you to unlock the coins you have and send them to another place on the address on the ledger. That's kind of like one way to think about it. And so really what we're doing with these hardware wallets is we're storing our private key. And then the hardware wallet can also do what's called signing a message to say, yes, I am the legitimate owner of these Bitcoins, and I'm sending them 
to address BC1, blah, 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 some other address. So that's a little bit of an explanation around seed words, pin, and passphrase. Um, and so then we are initializing the wallet, right? So this is creating that initial wallet. So in the case of cold card, there will be a couple additional steps. You've got those anti-phishing code words, that, and which you'll write those down. Um, and what else is involved with the initialization step? Okay, so on cold card, you do what we do is we have an anti-phishing feature. So you essentially have two sets of pins, right? One pin, and then you're given two unique words that only you and the device know. Uh, and then you have a secondary pin. What that means is that if somebody ever swaps your device for a malicious device uh, that could record your pin, especially remotely, if you put in half of the pin because they don't know the secret words, right? You, you would show you something else. And if it shows you something else, stop typing. <laughs> uh, because they won't have the second <laughs> yeah. part of your pin and you're protected. Uh, now, don't freak out. If you put the wrong pin initially, you're going to get different words. Uh, so just a, a caveat there because the, the pin, the, the words are based on, on how the, the pin is entered. But anyways, yeah. Okay. so yeah. Um, so yeah, you were cutting off there. So so what's the, what's the next uh, step you want to check? Yeah, so the next step now, uh, we would think about well, if we want to use it with a wallet, now with the cold card, uh, as I often mention, you can use it in an air-gapped way. So you can actually use an SD card and export that wallet. So there'll be a function to basically export the generic XPUB, and you would then take that out and put that into your computer and use that with a wallet like Spectre Desktop or Sparrow or Electrum or Blue Wallet, right? Um, so that's a more advanced way to use your cold card, but you can also use it in a direct plug way and other hardware wallets are like that too. Um, NVK, any tips around desktop wallets to use with our hardware wallet? Yeah, so I highly, highly recommend using it air-gapped. Or phone wallets even. Yeah, yeah. so air-gapping air, air is important just because nothing is bug-free, right? So if the hardware wallet does have a bug or or some some backdoor that's discovered or something, right? The fact that the hardware wallet is not connected to a computer, it's not going to make that bug exploitable, right? So so you add a layer of security that is, that is like, like huge <laughs> uh, just because you cannot remotely attack that wallet because it's not connected to anything. So that's one comment on there. Now, um, I am a big fan of Spectre Desktop, Sparrow. Sparrow is very easy to use. Uh, and uh, I like Electrum. Uh, aside from privacy considerations, and uh, and you can do core, but core is too tricky for most people. Now, one thing that's really nice to do is to have maybe a, a spare laptop that is like sort of clean. You don't really install anything in it, and that's sort of like your your Bitcoin laptop, right? That laptop you can run core on it. You can sync it every time you're gonna use. It doesn't have all your crapware. You don't surf porn on it. <laughs> there is there is nothing. <laughs> that could uh, uh, expose you to more uh, to more attacks, right? It's it's a nice little clean machine just for you to do money thing. Um, because remember, right? If bad guys don't know how much money you have, they may not be interested in going after you just because you know they'll assume that you don't have a lot of money, right? So so just not exposing your hodl, even if the keys are not on the computer, are a big deal. Uh, so so I highly highly recommend using like sort of like a like not using your main machine for it. But at the same time, listen, you're starting out, 
Don't freak out. You can start from the beginning. You can use your main machine. It's just, you know, try to improve your setup uh, and make it sort of more sanitized as you as you put more time in it, as you, uh, you know, acquire more Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And so for listeners who are new, if you are like, whoa, it's a little bit much, what I would say is there's probably two main choices for you. One is Sparrow Wallet, which has like a default setup where it goes to uh, that default setup will call out to somebody else's server, but it's been defined to certain more well-known community members who are running an Electrum server. That's one option, but obviously it's not as private if you're running your own Bitcoin node, but it's like an easy way for you to get started. Or the other way is Spectre Desktop. Now, Spectre Desktop has this thing called QuickSync, where basically they will, in the background, it will run Bitcoin Core and prune it and just kind of get you to, the, to a basic level setup after something like a couple gigs of download. So you can get set up relatively quickly and you don't need a lot of technical knowledge. So that's just a tip for new listeners, new coiners. If you are, for the first time, learning about how to use a cold card, that's a tip I would give for you guys. And then those of you who want to get more advanced, you want to learn to run your own Electrum private server or Electrum personal server or Electrus, E-L-E-C-T-R-S, which is like Electrum Rust server, there are there are ways to run that easily with some of the package node devices, things like, you know, MyNode and Umbral and Ronin Dojo and Raspberry Blitz and uh, so on. Um, yeah. So... Then at that point, you might want to, and here's one important step that I like to tell people who want to who want to properly feel comfortable, is you might start by sending a small amount of Bitcoin into that wallet and then testing, actually destroying it and recovering. Yeah, so we're going to get into backups, I guess, right? So that's, as an example, you might send in a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, first, yeah. like, if you're new, please, like, download the phone wallet, write down those seeds. Like learn how to send Bitcoin back and forth. You know what I mean? Try. You don't even need a harder wallet to start, right? Like just just do with like a phone app is fine. Just just to play around. So you so you get an understanding of like seed uh, writing and and all. Now you have your harder wallet, right? You 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 you're sitting there with your code card. You you have the little uh, the little paper card, right? Uh, let's say that the purple card is not like the best backup, but is your working sheet, right? Of backup. So you write down your PIN. You write down your your anti-phishing words, and then you write down your 24 words, right? So the first step is, you know, uh, first make sure you're not in a room that has a camera pointed at that piece of paper, especially your computer, your laptop camera is pointed at a piece <laughs> of paper, right? Uh, somebody could be watching. Um, try to like sanitize your environment, right? Like it's like this is serious, right? Like this is like your money. Uh, so you're gonna sort of have a clean desk. You're not gonna ha- you're gonna have a little sticky on the laptop camera, uh, and, and and you know get all set up. So you write down your 24 words. Um, I would recommend then uh, you send you know a few bucks worth of Bitcoin to the hardware wallet. Um, you you then do a test transaction, right? You you try to send it. You can send it to itself back to to an address you control in that same wallet. Uh, so you test that you can sign it. That that's like the first step. So yes, I can sign it. Fantastic, right? So then you go into the hardware wallet and you actually delete your seed. So you go into cold cards into the danger zone, destroy seed, right? So that means the seed is gone from cold card. Now you go in and you go into import and and you write down the 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 seed again and uh, and the wallet's going to be initialized again, uh, and you can just check that the funds essentially show up, right? Because you're going to be able to sign it again. So if you have those two sets of initial signing transactions, 
you know that the device one worked, so you don't have to do the whole thing again. And two, uh, you know now that your backup works is recoverable backup. So you're in a good spot, right? So if you're very noob, this is your yeah, first yeah. thing, you could almost stop there with this whole thing, right? Now you can just sort of have your normal life. You just have to store that piece of paper somewhere safe. Now, let's say that you have a bit more money and now it's when it gets it gets interesting with backups, right? So paper burns. <laughs> so I highly recommend you get like a seed plate, right? You get like a, a metal backup solution. You punch in your words in there. Most uh, of, the, of the metal backup solutions uh, are only gonna need the first four letters of each word. I know it's a little confusing. However, the word list for, for this, this, this system of seeds uh, has the first four letters unique of all words. So you don't need more than four letters if it's BIP39. Uh, so that's the first step with like improving your backup to the next level, right? Now you're protected against fire. So you're in a much better place because you know most people will not get robbed. Most people probably will have a, a house fire or a flood or something that destroys paper, right? So rock, paper, scissors, you know, paper is not great. <laughs> and then like we can sort of start increasing here as, as like you're going to have a, many different options, right, on, on how to do things and, and how they, they have different sort of uh, uh, game scenarios. Um, so, for example, I highly recommend... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that's the, I guess, the standard backup scenario. And so we would say for people, maybe when you're starting, if you're unsure about all this stuff and it's a bit too much, you can go with no passphrase. And so basically just have the 24 words and your pin and the that's it. And then... As you want to start uh, increasing things and change, making the setup a little bit more complex, then you might start adding in the passphrase, as we said. So this, depending on how secure you want to be, it might be another five or six words on top, extended to your seed, if you will. And so there's like a little option in your cold card. You can go in there and basically enable or disable your passphrase. And it's like entering a whole new wallet, yes. basically. Um, so uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that passphrase backup looks like? So... I think it's very important that people don't don't get confused about like you must have a, a minimum of a metal backup for your sing for your normal seed phrase right at a minimum you have a metal backup and then for your passphrase you also need a backup right they ideally they're not together so you're gonna have one metal plate for your seed and then you get a second metal plate and instead of just using random I highly discourage people to use a random passphrase just because you know you don't write it down correctly or it's hard to read and then you have like a widow that cannot recover from 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 that right so i highly highly recommend people picking words from the same word list right the bip39 word list we we can add it to the show notes uh, some links to it and then you put you put those word lists which are compatible with most metal backup solutions right uh, and you have a nice little backup of that as well. Uh, and ideally, those two pieces are, are kept separately because if somebody gets hold of both parts, they could spend your coins, right? Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so that's sort of like the first uh, way of doing this. Uh, another way of doing this is, for example, uh, if you don't want to have a passphrase, right, um, you could, for example, split your main seed right? You can't just cut it in half. It's not a good idea. Um, so we created this little thing called seed XOR, 
It's very easy to use. It's compatible with any other wallet. What essentially it does is it lets you create a seed from two seeds, right? It, it, it cannot be done in reverse. You cannot split the seed. You can only combine the two to create a new one. What's nice about that is that um, you can have a secret in two separate places to make the original big secret, right? Uh, if you want to add a passphrase on top of that, you can as well. So you can you can sort of further decentralize uh, uh, your your seed solutions. Now, a caveat: you always have to be careful because again, chances of you getting robbed are much smaller than you screwing yourself out of your coins. So don't complicate things too much to a degree that you are not comfortable. Or if you're dead, the people who you're leaving things to are are uncomfortable about it's like what i like to say is like don't create treasure hunts to your grieving family <laughs> yeah 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 so um so we can think of it like there's different ways to go about this so you might just have when you're starting no passphrase and just you know just 24 words and then you might say next level is to have a passphrase and then you might have uh that in that passphrase context you might have the cold card in one location um and the passphrase backed up in another um and so i guess there's different i mean there's different scenarios and then so then the next level as we're talking about is seed xor so this is a new feature relatively where you can actually sort of split up your key a little bit in a way that you know requires all of the pieces right so you might set it up into three pieces where you need all three to reconstitute the overall thing right that's right uh, what's what's nice? Uh, what's really nice about that is that it's plausibly deniable. So we built this really because we, we found that people couldn't find a spot to keep their seats, right? That was not possibly uh, um, uh, 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 very exposed. So people were putting seeds in safe deposit boxes, right? That's how a lot of people do it. And the problem with safe deposit boxes is that they're capturable, right? They're capturable by the state. They might be capturable by somebody with a very good uh, 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 fake ID and, and the right story. You know, it's essentially your CD sitting on somebody else's house, right? Like it just happens to be a very safe house, but still <laughs> in somebody else's place. Like you don't control the bank vault, right? So what we wanted to do is give people a chance uh, uh, to, to maybe get two separate deposit boxes like in two separate banks. Right now, it's much harder to attack that. Uh, maybe they're in different countries. Maybe they're different states. Right? Maybe they're in different names. So, so now you can put a seed there. And what's cool about the seed XOR is that that seed looks like a normal twenty-four word seed with checksum. So you could even put a little bit of fake money or or like just decoy money on that seed. So if somebody gets hold of that, they think they got what you had, right? Uh, and, and plausible deniability around uh, most attack scenarios in 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 like um, in private key defense, right? It, it, it's it's like one of the best things you can do because you you're not like infallible, you're not uh, uh, you know you're not bulletproof. Uh, you know, family members uh, could be uh, uh, used as leverage. Uh, other things could be used as leverage. So if you have a good story, a very believable story, right, uh, to deal with things, you are much ahead, right? Because 
most of the, the low-level, mid-level, even some of the high-level attackers won't be able to get past that story, right? Because it checks up, right? Uh, so building those layers is very helpful so that you have, say you have like a, a decoy hardware wallet in your house, right? That you can give to the bad guy. That one, he can even take it. And then you have a next one. And then the next one has maybe a passphrase as well, right? So you can keep on building these layers, both on your personal uh, vicinity and also where you store your backups. Uh, we'll give you bio time uh, and then we'll give you a lot more security, right? Because you have time to move funds, to remove yourself from the situation. Uh, because remember, bad guys are always on a timer, right? They don't have all the time in the world. They have to move on. So uh, so you're really adding a lot of defense to your system that way. Yeah. And so then I guess you just have to think about your redundancy also, right? Because as an example, if you are creating it into a two of two seed XOR setup, well, now you've got to make sure you can access both. Because if you lose one of them, now you're in trouble. So it's just about making sure you are covered from that point of view. Yes. So uh, one thing I love uh, uh, to suggest to people to do if they are going to go the seed XOR route is to they could have say uh, uh, they could have two copies of each part and just distribute them further, right? So so if they lose one, they're not out of luck. Uh, they could also have a passphrase on top of that so that they have say a full seed backed up somewhere very deep in the sea kind of thing, right? And then they have the two parts in places where a little bit more accessible in case you need to recover and they have a passphrase on top of that. So if somebody finds the one under the sea, they can't get it, right? Um, so so like you're much more ahead. And, and I, I think I should add that like uh, you never want to be in a position where you could sign your wealth out, right? Uh, you, you want to be able to, uh, to like truthfully, right? Under duress, uh, say like I, I don't have access yeah. to my BTC to sign it all out. So, so, uh, so you have to sort of like put that in into your scenario. You don't have your hardware wallet with all your Bitcoin like in your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if you do that and somebody like uses the the, the type of the rest that works against you, they will make you sign. Right. Yeah. Now I'm just imagining some new listeners might be thinking, "Well, well, this is a lot." So I would say, look, just. Start basic and slowly work your way up. So you could start with a, you know, just single hardware wallet, no passphrase, just start basic. Then maybe the next level is, okay, now I'm going to have a passphrase. I'm going to think about, okay, I'm going to have um, my cold card and the steel backup at home for it, but I've got a passphrase and that passphrase is backed up into another location. So that way you, the attacker has to take me to this other location. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think I think what we maybe should we should split this in two, right? Because we got a lot of feedback on Twitter about this this pod. So maybe uh, it's like if you are a noob, stop a few minutes ago, right? Like don't 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 overcomplicate the the rest. The, maybe the rest of this conversation is is more sort of like uh, it's more for your curiosity. But you don't have to do a lot of this stuff. There is like there is people who hold hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like yeah. who, who who need to 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 keep things, and there is people who live in countries that have security considerations. There's people who live in safe places. So find what is comfortable to you at the, this point in your life with the amount of money that you have at this point in your your life, right? Yeah. You don't have to to go too far. So so you're okay. Have your just your seed. It's fine. You're okay. Hold hold the your initial sort of Bitcoin hodl, right? 
and then as the price increases, as you acquire more, then you inquire further into how to make more complex systems because this thing is also going to make sense to you as you use Bitcoin more often. Yeah, correct. Okay, and so now we've spoken about Seed XOR, but what about uh, the encrypted SD card backup? Because I know that's another prominent feature in the cold card and even Matt O'Dell's infamous Tales from the Crypt Guide, the one where everyone was talking about his hands, uh, has an encrypted uh, SD card backup. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how that might fit into this whole scenario? Yeah, so um, it's, it's very nice and convenient to have an encrypted backup of your Seed in digital form, right? Say you know, you, you accidentally run over your hardware wallet and it breaks, right? Like now you're going to have to go under the sea or to a different country or whatever to pick up your backups, right? Now, if you have an encrypted backup somewhere that is not easy accessible, but it's easier accessible, right? Uh, say you just have to, tra- to travel to another state and, and then go into a safe deposit box and find that backup, right? So that you can recover your hardware wallet. Uh, what's nice about that is that the microSD card has all the settings of the cold card. It has everything you need. And because maybe you use the passphrase, right, the microSD card, even if you, you're compelled uh, uh, to give the encryption keys to the microSD card, you're still in a good place because you have a passphrase on top of that. It's important to not have a single point of failure that is either via duress or because of accident. So having having enough backups out there in different forms will help you recover in case you need or help family members recover in case you need right maybe you don't use the micro sd card uh with yourself maybe it's a very remote place but you can leave the instructions to a family member on how to get that card yeah. right and maybe it's easier for them to to deal with that card and a, and a, pa- a password because the password uh has no has no bitcoin consequence right you can give them the password yeah, yeah, yeah. They just need possession of uh, uh, that card. Yeah, so as an example, they could have uh, a location where they go to pick up the encrypted SD backup, and then you tell them also, that's not all. You need to actually get the passphrase, which is in this other location. So then if an attacker comes to your house, gun to the head, you can literally be like, look, I I can't access the coins right now. I've got, you know, it's different location. You're going to have to take me to this other location. And this other location might be in a vault. It might be in a security location it might be overseas it might be in international so there's also different ways of um approaching that um uh, now let's um bring up what a lot of people are thinking about which is also multi-signature right now there's different ways to go about multi-signature you can use the you know let's call it guided multi-sig with say my sponsor unchained capital or casa they're probably the two well-known providers there or you can go diy right so spectre desktop sparrow electrum others they support this function where you can create your own what's your thought there on using a cold card as part of a multi-signature setup uh in contrast to doing something like seed xor so i I think if you're a noob seeking multi-sig you you pretty much have to go with a with like a paid solution like casa or unchained unfortunately there are privacy consequences of doing that they will know how much bitcoin you have right there is no way around that um but um uh, yeah, I, 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 multi-sig is amazing. Let's start from that premise, right? It's a really cool thing, right? Because you need multiple keys to, to be able to sign it. Um, however, it's very complicated, um, especially if you're going to do a DIY. If you're a seasoned Bitcoiner, you can totally do it, right? But like for a noob, I, I really discourage doing it because I've seen people lose money because they can't recover their setup. 
Now, uh, with Fanching and Kaza, what they're going to do is they both have two separate types of preferences on how they do this stuff, but uh, they will help you make sure you don't screw yourself, right? So <laughs> they will uh, sort of like help you set up the wallets, help you set up the backups, give you a lot of education, and, and they will handhold you when problems happen as well. And they will explain to you the things that you have to keep uh, so that they can help you recover in case you do screw yourself. So you're more safe that way. But again, you're exposing yourself to American companies, right? Like with with like very private information. I'm sure they have some ways of doing this anon as well. I I, I haven't explored like how, how good those anon uh, options are, uh, but it's totally worth it. Uh, if you already have uh, 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 KYC coins, for example, right? Uh, if you if you are say a company or or a family trust or something where it's already very like your you know Coinbase kind of trading uh, a desk for your family office or whatever, you know this Casa and 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 then Shane are great services because you know it's already sort of pound anyways, right? Um, now. Uh, there's very good solutions now that made multi-sig much easier, right? So uh, Sparrow, uh, Spectre, uh, Blue Wallet to a certain extent, uh, they do make enrolling and creating the multi-sig much easier. Uh, cold card, you can also do this very easy if you use cold card only. So multiple cold cards because we can create for you the, the quorum. Um, however, again, uh, make sure that like you know what you're doing. You're not just complicating your life with multisig because you heard that multisig is good. Don't do anything because you heard. Right? Go explore yourself and feel that you're very competent and confident with the solution you're gonna use. Um, so yeah, so so like I you know I, I do recommend it. I do. I am not a fan of multi vendor multisig at this point uh, unless you're a very advanced user because. None of the vendors, including us, is capable of supporting, like giving full support to the multi-vendor, multi-sig, right? Because, you know, each hardware wallet, each vendor has their way of doing things, different preferences, different ways on how they prefer uh, 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 to set up the, 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 all the complications around, like, each of the signers, right? So if you're a very advanced user, by all means, uh, Max Flaxman has a great guide. Uh, no, um, Bitcoin Q&A has great guys. Open Noms have great guys. Uh, you guys at, uh, uh, Ministry, of Nodes, at yeah. uh, uh, Ministry of Nodes have good guys on this. Yep. Um, Metodel has some. Anyways, there's a plethora of guides out there. Uh, but again, uh, you could be shit out of luck if the vendors change their firmware, for example. This happened to another vendor where they changed their firmware and all of a sudden they broke everybody's multisig. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's tricky. Back to the show in a moment. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. I really like the focus Unchained Capital have. They are really respecting the ethos of Bitcoin and producing products that help you secure your Bitcoin or borrow against your Bitcoin. So if you need to upgrade to multi-signature vaults, they've got that available. You can buy two hardware vaults and go set up. Now, if you need white glove treatment, if you need the hand 
to help you while you're setting up, they've got a concierge service. So they're covering you there. They can ship you two hardware wallets. They'll answer your questions, do calls with you, get you set up and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. Use the code Levera to get a discount there. Unchained Capital also offer loans so you can borrow against your Bitcoin and they also offer advanced business accounts for those of you who want to move to a corporate or business Bitcoin standard. So go to unchained.com to find out more. Coinkite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet. This way you can secure your keys and make sure that that private key never touches an online computer and never touches the internet. So you can use it in an air-gapped setup using a micro SD card to ferry or shuttle it back and forth between the cold card device and your computer. And you can use it with Spectre and Sparrow and Electrum and various other wallets. Cold card offers versatility in that you can use it as part of a single signature setup or as part of a multi-signature setup. Coldcard has lots of different features like the ability to verify the receive address right on the device. So that's a really excellent feature for those of you who are more security conscious. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Lavera to order yours. And we can't finish talking about Bitcoin security without also considering our backups and our redundancy. And that's where CypherGrid comes in. So CypherGrid is a new product coming out by CypherSafe.io. This is the best value in the industry for metal seed backup. It's $59. You get everything you need. It's got two stainless steel plates. You've got privacy by default. The stainless steel hardware holds it together. You can lock it with a padlock. It gets a tamper evidence seal provided with it, as well as an automatic center punch. So you go through and you punch out the 24 words, four letters for each word. And just like all CypherSafe products, it's made from stainless steel. It's fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Lavera to get a discount on yours. Back to the show. Yeah, yeah. And it is, uh, I, what I could suggest is get comfortable with one main setup and then you could have multiple other setups that you're testing and you're trying to learn and have a small amount of coin on those setups while you're learning on those. And then you can sort of try practicing around with those. But yeah, you're right. It is um, difficult if you are DIY and trying to do the multi-vendor approach. But you know, I- I'm confident and I'm hopeful uh, that uh, with things like Spectre and Sparrow improving over time and hopefully we sort of get to a point where that's possible. Um, but otherwise, for listeners out there who are like, well, I really want the security multi-sig uh, and I'm okay with the privacy trade-off, then Unchained or Casa certainly are options there. Um, so I guess, do you have any thoughts in terms of backups in a multi-signature context, just as we're talking about backups? Yeah, it's 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 very similar, right, to to the CDXOR backup considerations, right? You, you now have multiple parts. You should have every part in metal. Personally, that's that's what I think people should do. Uh, and I and I think when you can debate a, a Bitcoiner on that, you're probably ready to have your own solution. <laughs> like, uh, so. So, uh, uh, you know, if, you, if you're starting out and, and you're just listening to us and taking our advice, um, then, then go with Metal for all the, the options there. Make sure they are not combinable in where they are. So they are in different locations. Each part is in a different location. Uh, remember, paper burns and electronics die, right? So you can't just put, you know, a hardware wallet in a safe and expect that to be, like, good forever there. Um, maybe you forget how you did the backup. Uh, and then you die, and then years later, your family finds out that you had Bitcoin, and they go recover, and the device is dead, right? It could happen. So uh, ma- make sure that, that like, when you think about, like, the, the physical uh, uh, storage of those backups, you're not thinking, you, you think about two sort of rule of thumbs, right? One is, if Bitcoin was 10 or 100 times 
more uh, per dollar uh, today, is my backup good enough, right? Two is if I die, can they recover? Uh, three is uh, if I die and they don't know about it uh, because whatever reasons you did a poor way of living the instructions behind or something and years pass, is it still there? You know, did you prepay that safe deposit box for enough time, right? Imagine if a, if a, if a trustee, like a, a bank trustee or something like takes hold of that and, uh, you know, takes a picture of that seed and, uh, and then sort of spends it, right? So, so that's why it's so important. There's so many, you essentially want to prevent uh, all these things from happening. And, and it's very easy to prevent them from happening if you just sort of like follow a little bit of this, this advice. Right. Yeah. So it's basically uh, planning it out. And um, right now it is early in, in inheritance planning days. As my recent episode with Hector Rosencrantz from Casa, we spoke about that. And he was saying, he gave an example where there are literally some lawyers who are emailing around seed words, right? Like that's the level we're at these days. So yes. Be careful out there. And think about carefully about how you're doing your backups. And generally, that means have metal seeds. Uh, and so that means get a metal product. And so in the case of cold card, you've got the seed plate. Or, or I mean, you can use the seed plate with any hardware wallet, really. And basically, you buy that metal stamper thing. It's called an automatic center punch. Um, and then basically, you go and stamp out those words. Uh, so four letters per word, as we said. And then you have multiple locations. So now let's talk a little bit about locations of our backups, right? So I guess high level, there's a few ways to think about it, right? So in your home, you might have a home safe. You might, or you might get one installed. Uh, that's one location. And you might have, let's say, a, a you know, safe deposit box. You might have one in a bank, or you might have one in, say, like a self-storage kind of place. And then there's, I guess, the idea of also with geographic distribution. So you might have say, someplace in another state or in another country. So could you just give some tips for listeners out there on locations for their backups and for the hardware wallet itself, obviously? Right. So uh, so don't leave your hardware wallet on your desk. <laughs> 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 you know, or leave one in your desk that's a decoy one. You know, because I make hardware wallets, I probably have 200 in my house. So, like, good luck with that. But so... so uh, I think it's uh, it's important uh, that people realize that safes are not infallible, right? So so metal safes, they they have ratings, right? So fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, that kind of stuff, right? And even a you know a, a pricier safe, say like you spend like three, five, ten thousand dollars on a safe for your house, right? So like you get like a TL thirty, right? So it's supposed to survive thirty minutes with like full on, right? Reality is. It's a lot quicker. So you can ask any safe manufacturer. They know exactly where to cut and how to open. Like it opens like butter, right? Uh, and I'm talking about like a safe here that the door is almost a foot deep. Okay. These guys can just like poof, done. So safes are great uh, to prevent, say, meth heads from taking it from your house or, or, or like a, your, your like more average home burglar, right? Some safes will also have like a, a more reasonable fire rating as well, which is kind of nice. So, you know, so your documents don't burn as well, right? Uh, at least, you know, if they're in a correct installation and location. So, so just assume, right, that that safe in your house, one, it could be compelled to open and two, it could be open in enough time. So you're just trying to prevent the, the low to mid-level guys from getting in, right? Uh, which is a huge improvement. Now, 
uh, that safe shouldn't be visible, <laughs> right? It should be like probably hidden somewhere. And then uh, safe deposit boxes are great. Different countries have different laws around that, right? So you have to be careful. You have to do some research on where you live. Uh, what are the requirements for somebody to get in? You know, what happens if you die and don't pay the bill? Uh, or if you just fail to pay the bill because you forgot, right? Like what happens to the safe deposit box? Another cool thing about doing physical backup solutions is that uh, humanity has, you know, thousands of years of, of like uh, improved custody, chain of custody for metal, for, for metal, for, for physical things, right? So lawyers don't know how to deal with digital seeds. They will send it an email, right? But if you tell them that this is a secret in metal, they'll put it in an envelope, right? And they'll deliver to the family or whatever, <laughs> physically with chain of custody. Uh, same for police matters, right? They, they know how to handle this stuff to a certain extent, of course. Um, so yeah, so safe deposit box are great. Uh, geographically distributed safe deposit box are fantastic too, right? Uh, so uh, you can go to another state, another city or another country, right? Where if a bad guy wants to take it from you, it's like, you're going to like, you want to go for a two week trip with me? Right? Like, I mean, to another country. Uh, <laughs> and since we're in quarantine as well. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the different country will also have different laws and regulations around uh, releasing that safe deposit box. So you might have some protection against uh, whatever government you have. Right. They might not be able to compel the other country to release that safe deposit box. Or it could be, you know, some countries are specialized in this stuff, right? So like Monaco or Switzerland, they, they will have very, very interesting solutions around this stuff. You can also live with family members, right? If, if you did your, your, your seed uh, XOR or your multi-sig where that one seed is not a concern, right? You can put it inside a little envelope or, or something else and, uh, and give it to a family member to hold it for you in a different location, right? Um, you can do the, the encrypted backup. You can leave it with a family member because they can't really use it. They cannot be compelled to use it, right? You can. You have to think about them being malicious and also them being compelled. And, uh, you, you know, if you have, uh, like, maybe some, uh, 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 some property somewhere that has a bit more space, you can bury it, right? You can, uh, there, there is many ways of hiding secrets around. It just makes sure that, like, they're recoverable. Family members know where they are. And then, uh, and then if you die and some time passes, somebody doesn't find it and spend it before your family does, right? Uh, again, no treasure hunts for, for grieving family. It, it's not a good idea. Yeah. And another tip I know of is to make sure your family have a contact person who they can trust on Bitcoin, right? So it, like it, 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 at that time, they're going to be under stress. They're going to be you know, feeling it. And they need to go to somebody who knows what they're talking about and can help them recover. And so it would be good if you tell them in advance, hey, if something happens to me, this guy can help you Bitcoin-wise, right, with recovery and doing these things. Yes, and add a note there. Never show that person the seed words unless you really, really need to because their relationship may have changed and you don't know that it changed. So so say, for example, you, you know, you, you find out that you know your partner left you a seed and a passphrase, right? You, you know maybe this person is helping you set up the wallet again. You don't have to show them the the, the passphrase or or even the seed. They 
an honest helper in IT will turn the laptop around, let you type in the password or seed, right? And then turn it back for them to help you do that stuff. They don't need to see the secrets, right? Um, that that's like a, a good sort of uh, way of, of going about because if something did happen, it could get awkward, right? Say, for example, somebody else found out that seed and that those funds were spent already. And this guy helping you, and he sees the seed. Now, you don't know if he stole it from you or if it was pre-stolen, right? So don't put yourself in that situation. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, also... There's this question of whether people should have all of, or let's say most, their HODL stack all in one big super secure setup, or should they be splitting it across multiple setups? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I do. Um, I think if you're somebody who's new, right, and you're just sort of, and say, say you're just buying some Bitcoin to accumulate, right? You just start it, right? Having it in a simple setup is a single one. You, you, you start to understand it fully and go from there. As you increase your Bitcoin hodl, it is nice to decentralize it a bit, right? You might want to have, say, a warm setup, right? Where it's like you have a hardware wallet, that's your operational one, where when you go buy Bitcoin or you go trade Bitcoin, you use that one. And then you have a threshold in which if it crosses a certain amount, you transfer parts of it to your deep, deep storage, right? And you're because remember your deep deep storage is inaccessible to you without some serious amount of work, right? So what's cool about that is you always have some in case you're trying to trade, you're trying to leverage, whatever you're trying to do, right? Uh, I think it's nice to have that, or you're trying to experiment with different backup systems. Uh, it's nice to explore. So so do have an intermediary uh, a system at a minimum, uh, I think. Uh, and then as you hold increase even further. Or maybe you have, uh, I don't know, multiple families, right? Like you, you're divorcee and, and like you have a previous wife and like you have different families, you have more complication in your life. Or maybe you manage uh, funds for your family office or whatever, right? You start having more setups because remember, if you're made to compel and they know you have a hardware wallet or something, you, you, you have something that is believable uh, or, or is actually like what you have, right? Like, like, honestly, have, uh, uh, and and you're not completely lost, right? Uh, so, so it is it is nice to to have more more options there to how kind of like how you have checking and savings in your bank account, right? Uh, it, it's nice to have that sort of separation because you treat it differently too, and it helps with taxes as well. Uh, if this is a consideration for you, yeah. And so, listeners might want to think of segregating their coins and this might also be useful in a kyc coins and non-kyc coins context you might want to segregate from that point of view as well um so you might let's say have a non-kyc little portion of coins that you keep on say a coin join wallet like say samurai wallet or join market let's say um and then your kind of other stuff is on the you know the cold card and or multi-sig or cdex or those kinds of setups um and so i guess going back to that checking account and savings account analogy so let's say you have a checking account and a savings account. What about the idea of having multiple savings accounts? Should you have multiple, let's say, multi-sig setups or let's say two savings accounts? Like one of them is a multi-sig and then another account that's like a seed XOR with like you know, another, say, 40% of your stack is there and 50% of your stack is there and 10% is in your intermediate wallet. Do you have any thoughts on that? or? Do you- uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, if that makes sense to you, it, 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 you should absolutely do it. But, but like, 
it, it's just but but like learn to crawl before walk right so just increase things progressively so that you don't get overwhelmed and you get stuck with like oh my god i have like five wallets now and they're all different and i don't know what's going on right because remember you're still going to have to find secure ways of documenting all this stuff to to family if you die right yeah. so uh, it, it's it's important to not overcomplicate, but complicate enough so that you, you're like secure and functional, right? So find a balance, create a little decision tree, right? So get a piece of paper and draw out, right? Like your, your plan, right? In a very high level first. And then sort of like go in there and sort of like add in, like how do you intend of backing up each of these parts, right? Uh, how you're gonna like split things. Um, how do you leave each part uh, for the person that's going to receive it if you die, right? Uh, maybe it's like both you and your partner dies and your kids are too young to recover it, right? So like, how is the people who are going to recover it going to deal with it? Uh, it? It can get very tricky. So so having a map is really nice. And then it would burn the map, of course, right? Um, make sure you don't leave information that's going to give bad guys your full uh, your full map. Right, your full idea of how you do things because obscurity really helps. Right, right. Obscurity shouldn't be the only thing, but it can be part of your overall context, right? There's no need to go out <laughs> broadcasting to the world, oh, this is exactly how I store all my coins. Uh, so, yeah. A um, couple other questions that came up just from the Twitter discussion as well. Do you have any thoughts on crossing country borders with a large stash of coins? Should we be using multi-signature to mail hardware to the country and go from A to B, set up the hardware wallet on the other side, then come back to A and send your coins into B from A? Or uh, should you be, you know, going overseas with a passphrase in your head? Or what's, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, let me premise with this first to say that most countries have capital controls on property as well, right? So uh, transporting large amounts of money between borders uh, uh, you know, can get dicey and tricky depending on which country you live in, where you're going, uh, the amount exact, and and so so like do your research, right? And and but but at a minimum, I'd say don't take your hardware wallet through customs, right? Because you don't know, like even even if your country allows you to take however much you want out of the country, you, you don't know the border agent you, either the country you're leaving or the country you you are arriving right the, these guys could get confused uh it could be malicious it could be non-malicious i mean you look at the silk road guys you know like all the law enforcement made money <laughs> illegally on that operation right uh so watch out for that um you know if you're leaving some country that you're trying to exfiltrate like bitcoin because you know like they're trying to kill you or come after you or whatever, right? Uh, you also don't want to take the hardware wallet with you through the airport, but you can you can maybe write those few words in book, right? You can uh, you can take a encrypted micro SD inside a camera with uh, with pictures on it. Uh, you can uh, you could you could mail yourself the to 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 the new address, right? Uh, the encrypted micro SD. Uh, you can try to remember part of the the seed, right? Uh, you, you know, say say you're doing this like um, you know, you find out that whatever legislation in country you're in requires you to to go set up something in the other country and whatever, right? So, uh, for even your own security, you don't want to have signing capabilities for everything on you, anyways. So you might want to travel there first, set up a hardware wallet there, uh, uh, have your everything you need there, 
test a transaction there and then bring an address back with you, right? And then send the money out and then travel, right? Uh, maybe it is a multi-sig solution. Maybe you even just send everything to an exchange and then we draw there, right? Um, I think it's important that, that you put some thought into the case scenarios, right? Uh, uh, of, of one, your, your legal framework, two, you're not overexposing yourself during that trip, right, with everything. Uh, uh, and, and three, your new location is properly backed up too. Right. So like, you, you know, you had this amazing setup, you have your safety, deposit. all this stuff is awesome. Right. And then like, you know, you take your heart and wallet with you, like with full signing capabilities through an airport into a new country. Right. Like it, it, it's not a good idea. So so really put some thought into it. And, and if you are fleeing in a hurry from like some insanity going on in your country. Right. I mean, I don't know, like some dictator says, you know, everybody's Bitcoin is mine now. Right. Uh, uh, you know, maybe you just take your seed in paper or in your head and you travel, destroy the backups uh, eventually, or just make sure they're inaccessible, right? And, and move on with your life, right? Uh, the, the beauty of Bitcoin is uh, it gives you the capability of escaping tyranny with all your money. Yeah. yeah. So so you, there's many ways for you to, to accomplish that. Right. And so perhaps an idea then is to have some spare hardware wallets and metal backups at your house that you have that they're uninitial uninitial sorry uninitialized and unused so you've got them ready to go if you need to change something or spin something up or some say you go and check one of your keys and you find oh the key's broken i need to replace it well i've got some spare cold cards at home new ones that i can open the bag and you know set, put that into the setup I, I highly highly recommend having spares because things break Right. I mean, let's say you're doing a, a real estate transaction, right? You decided to either borrow against BTC or sell some or whatever, right? And, or you, yeah. And, and it's a timely transaction in your life, right? You have to spend it. Uh, at a certain date, you have to be done. What if the hardware wallet breaks, right? You drop it on the floor, breaks the screen, right? Um, you you want to be able to quickly recover into something else. And having spare hardware around is going to help you make sure that you can accomplish that, uh, you know, without stress. You know, and theoretically, you could load that seed into another wallet or whatever, but you don't want to expose yourself to other attack vectors because you don't have a way of recovering in the same way that it did before. So, so having spares is very useful. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing that might help ease the mind of listeners out there to have some spares of whatever hardware wallets you're using, right? If it's cold card plus a, something else, whatever other hardware wallets you're using. So maybe just to summarize then. So I guess a typical flow or way that a new coiner might come in today, they might start with a hard, sorry, with a phone wallet, right? So as an example, something like Moon Wallet is probably a good example to start on just as a phone wallet, just to get started, start out with a couple hundred bucks on there just to learn. And then, then you know, next step is hardware wallet. And then maybe next step is passphrase. And then maybe next step is seed XOR. And then maybe beyond that, you're thinking, okay, now I really want to go hardcore. I want to go multi-sig and I'm ready. I've learned. I've done my time. I've done my learning. I'm comfortable with how to use multiple types of hardware wallets. I know how to use Spectre and Sparrow. I know how to run my own Bitcoin node. I know how to recover. I've tested recovering. You know, I'm sort of I'm familiar with these different products. Now I'm ready for the, for the maximum, you know, or at least a high level of security. Um, do you have any tips to add there in terms of progression steps for people? Like, let's say someone's coming in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think I think you nailed it. I, I think the phone wallet with with Seed is, is a very good like learning experience, right? Learn how to recover. Learn how to transfer that seed to something else. You, you know, play around. It's play money, right? For you to to learn and understand how all this seed thing works, right? Uh, because it sounds complicated, but once you put a little bit of, of time into it, it, it becomes like second nature, right? It, it's very simple. It's kind of like I don't have to explain to you how a, a car key works. You just you, you understand that the car key is a secret, that if you stick it in there and you use it in the right way, it turns on the car, right? I bet when those things came about, everybody was confused about car keys and trying to understand how they work, right? So so it's, it's just like it, it's familiarity, right? So get familiar with handling seeds securely, making sure you don't have a camera behind you uh, accidentally, right? Like all those things. Uh, and, and then do progress into the harder wallet. One thing you should never do, absolutely never do, is have uh, uh, seeds or, or private keys on computers. Computers are fully poundable. They are not devices designed to hold secrets, right? So they have viruses. There's all kinds of considerations, right? So don't have... Unless you're an absolute expert, which, you know, then we can debate all day. But like, if you're listening to this for advice, you're probably not somebody who can set up a secure free BSD box, right? So uh, uh, don't put seeds and private keys on computers, including multi-sig. Um, and don't make paper wallets. Uh, because paper wallets, you're also exposing yourself to the computer that generated that, that paper wallet. Uh, if you're doing the paper wallet inside a cold card, it's a bit different story, but you know it's a whole different rabbit hole. So, so I highly discourage that. It's a nice little rule of thumb. It's going to keep you safe. People stop losing money when they stop using computers for <laughs> private keys. <laughs> um, so, anyways, so so yeah, so so you you go, you do the 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 hardware wallet thing. That's the next step, and then you can try the passphrase thing. Uh, with the seed store, you could actually reuse maybe those seeds if you want to, as your because they're already distributed. You already have this awesome setup. You can maybe use them as your multi-sig keys because they are valid seeds. There is a lot of sort of like mix and match that you can do as you have a better understanding of how the stuff works. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's just refresh some of those key points for people. I think it would be good to talk about what are the common pitfalls, right? So common pitfalls. Number one, don't overcomplicate your setup, right? Keep it simple. Uh, don't uh, forget to have your backups, right? Because people can screw that up. Don't forget to test your backups because your backups might not be correct. You might have written it down wrong. So actually, do you have any tips there for testing backups on, say, cold card? Yeah, so the best way to test the backup is destroy the seed before you have too much money in it, just a little bit, right? So remove the, the seed from the device and recover from backup. So if you have seed store, cold card is going to walk you through how to recover from that. If you're using Shamir, you, you do that in the devices that support that. Uh, whatever setup you have, pretend it's broken, right? That's the idea of recovering backups. Pretend you actually broke it. So make it lose the secret. And then try to recover from the exact backup setup that you have yeah, yeah. for your real thing. And if it all shows up there and everything works great, like you know that doesn't matter what happened, you can actually recover from that backup because you tested yeah. it. So one tip there for listeners as well, because I'm sure there might be some listeners out there saying, oh, hang on, but guys, I've already put my coins on my hardware wallet. How do I test that now? Well, remember, there are other ways to test. So another example could be, 
let's say you go, you get your metal seed back up and you're just comparing that and you go into cold card and there's a thing called view seed words and you just compare that versus what you've written down on your metal seed and see, is that the same? Um, other things you can check, you can check, is the fingerprint the same, right? So with cold card, when you set up a wallet, it's got that little fingerprint thing saying, oh, I can't remember, it's like, I don't know, maybe 10 characters or something like that. And you can check that when you recover, it recovers to the same fingerprint. So that's another tip there for listeners who want to test their backup. Yeah, so another very easy way to do it, uh, say you don't want to mangle with the one it's working, right? Uh, Just buy a second one and then then recover into this secondary device. And maybe keep that secondary device with the backup. Uh, So you have a ready-to-go backup device uh, for that part of the secret. Um, very useful, uh, especially for multisig. You you could keep uh, each of the signers uh, uh, stored with each of the metal backups, so so that you have them all ready to go in case you need to go recover. That that's super useful. Yeah. So going back to the pitfalls, I would say another one I've seen is don't do things you're not comfortable with. Right. So I mean, obviously when you're learning, there might be a, you, you might be a little bit uncomfortable, but don't do things that are way outside your comfort zone. Because if you're doing something way outside your comfort zone, you're probably, there's a good chance you're going to mess something up because you don't understand something you're doing. So try to get comfortable, get familiar with it, and then you'll be more sure about what you're doing because you've recovered it before. You've done, you've been here, you've done that. It's kind of interesting because a lot of the complication comes because people shouldn't do what the experts do. People should do what the experts suggest. It's very different. Right. When when people go on Bitcoin Twitter, for example, and they see all the experts arguing about like the best secure element, you know, super complicated, like multi-sig setups or whatever, like it's like we're all talking and trying to find the best solutions for people. Right. But but you shouldn't go and just do it because that expert does it. Right. Because he knows how to recover in case he screws up. So you should do. What, what, what you are very, very comfortable in terms of complication. Uh, uh, so yeah, so don't do what experts do. Just, just, just listen to the, to the advice that they give in terms of like the, the more simple stuff to, to begin. Yeah. Okay, well, I think those, those are the key ones. Oh, one other one, actually. So there's discussion now about this idea of output script descriptors. And so this is maybe a different context, and maybe this is a little bit more of an advanced conversation, maybe not for the beginners, but there. so for years and years in Bitcoin, a lot of people have been using the BIP39 style setup and potentially with a passphrase, or they've been using multisig on, on certain kind of well-known, well-trodden pathways. What happens if and when we move into this output script descriptor context? Like as an example, I know Moon Wallet, their backup is already doing output script descriptors, but most of the wallets are not at that level yet. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's the same with cold card. We, we absolutely love uh, output descriptors. Remember, I, I created a website, walletsrecovery.org, because so, so in Bitcoin, you essentially have two things that you need to know in order to spam, right? You need to know the secret, but you also need to know where the coins are in order to spend them. Uh, and in multi-sig, that's a script. So it gets complicated, right? So BIP39, the seeds don't have versions. They don't have location of the coins. None of that stuff. They're just the secret. So what output descriptors do is they describe, right? A way of you to find in the coins programmatically. So it's, 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 just a, it's just a very good way for us to find the coins, to construct a transaction that then you need the secret to sign, right? So... Um, 
it is definitely better than than like anything else that we we had. Uh, now we do have it, and more wallets are supporting it. And and as I like to say, when you are creating backups for your whole setup, create a backup of the wallet that you use. So if that's Electrum, Spectre, or whatever, make a backup of that, and specifically the version that you were using, in case things change in the future and you have a gap right, uh, between when you had things set up and when your family is recovering or whatever, uh, they can go use the old software and get the money out much easier. Uh, and make sure you back up your, your derivation path uh, if you're not using descriptors. Uh, because what the descriptors do is they will describe the, the derivation path in, in a way that wallets can just import. Right? Don't mangle and do custom derivation paths uh, it's another good uh, issue to always remember. Uh, a lot of sad stories of people that simply can't find their coins uh, because they created some custom thing or used them wallet that died that was not standard. The space is infinite, near infinite, uh, of where the coins could be. So it gets very tricky. Um, so yeah, so so output descriptors are great. I created a little website. I can't remember the, is it outputdescriptors.org? Or something. Uh, uh, the list wallets that support uh, output descriptors. I might have even linked from walletsrecovery.org. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So let me let me put I'll put I can put that in the um, show notes um, for listeners. And yeah. And in terms of the backups as well. So you might, as an example, you might want to have that that as you said, the backup of the wallet, the version used to create that setup on say a USB and you keep that in the different locations, right? So as an example, you might have multi-sig and you might have three of five or two of three. And each of those locations, you've got a USB key with the with the backup saying, okay, this was like the output descriptor. This was the Spectre desktop version with each backup. So that way you're making sure. Yeah, so so you gotta be careful, right? Because uh, if you're including uh, your your public key, right? Your accepted right. public a privacy key there. Concern. Uh, you, you, there is a privacy concern, right? So maybe you don't have it in all the boxes or maybe you have in the boxes that you have more control or maybe you bury it or whatever. Just just be mindful that there is a privacy consideration right. yeah. with those with that backup. So the, the attacker could now know how much coin there is. Yeah, so this is like a trade-off between having redundancy versus privacy, right? So I guess if you want to try to cut it in the middle, what you could do is say, okay, family members in the locations that you guys have access to, I'll put the um, privacy concern back up in there, the USB key with that stuff. And then for the other locations, I won't have it there, right? Maybe that's one way to try to cut it in the middle a little bit. But you have to, you know, listeners, you have to make your own decision there. What's more important to you? Redundancy, being able to recover under any circumstance or privacy of your coins and anybody or let's say the state or some big company or an attacker knowing how many coins you have and, you know, the locations of those coins, if you will. Yeah, it's all a balance, really is, right? And 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 different people have different preferences. They will live in, in different countries that have different security concerns, right? So you really have to study and sort of think about your life, right? And sort of like, you know, in where I live, like, is it a consideration or not, right? Where do I put backups? How many backups? And put some thought into it. Don't Don't just, like, take advice from people uh, because, you know, they're their life circumstances might be different than yours, right? Uh, maybe you don't even have, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, anybody to inherit uh, uh, your coins if you die, right? So, like, like, how do you live that to somebody, right? Like, wh- wh- what's your plan? Are you going to do a proof of burn and then make everybody else richer? Like, <laughs> what, what are you going to do, right? 
uh, I think it's important for you to think. Just just take time. Think there's no hurry, right? Just get off zero, right? So have BTC. Uh, and uh, and the other part is take your time to build your 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 security setup, and you can always change it. Like you, you know, you're not stuck with that. It's not like a bank account that like is a pain. You have to create a new one. No, you, you just you can always just create a new a new thing or or try different stuff, right? It, it's actually a lot of fun once you get into it. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, I think those are a lot of good tips for listeners out there. Hopefully they have uh, benefited from this and this is probably one of those ones where things change so it's kind of good to do an update episode every now and again to kind of refresh that for listeners out there and especially if there's a lot of new people so let's just uh, i guess leave people with tips on where to find you online so twitter at nvk and you can go to coinkite.com and get your cold cards there and get your other uh, material there of course use code lavera uh, nvk anywhere else so you've got worldsrecovery.org uh, any other sites anything else you want people to find yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, yeah. There's wallets recovery like related to the topic. Oh, uh, there is the Bitcoin Security Doc Guide. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, just because it's like I, I don't get into details there, but but I, I give you just like sort of like a run through of a basic setup that's true and tried uh, uh, for for most people for for most sort of average holders, right? And and, and like with, with links to on how to complicate it further. I think that setup is like truly is like like a good solid way uh, of doing the basics. Uh, um, you'd have to be like seriously attacked to to have a problem with that one. Yeah. What else? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, check out the the all the the guides that we have on on the docs page of Cold Card because we link to other things, including link to multi vendor uh, multi sig setups as well. And uh, you know, don't don't be shy. There's no stupid questions. Go go ask questions. Don't don't give your personal information uh, to people or or your coin information to people. But but do ask. I mean, especially on Twitter, like people will help. Like people will point you to good guides to go read and learn. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. It was, it was fun to to come again. So I hope you found the show useful, whether you are a new coiner or intermediate or advanced. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 290. Make sure you share the show with your family and friends and this episode in particular so people can get a sense of where they should be going and how they should be thinking about these things. And that's it from me. I'll see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.